On the 30th of April 1945, Adolf Hitler took his life in a subterranean Berlin bunker. The impact of Hitler's suicide on the war was more emotional than strategic. He killed himself because he understood that surrender and capture were inevitable. Still, in the aftermath of Hitler's suicide, there were many consequences and reactions on an individual and a collective level. Individual German government figures and German people had radical and diverse reactions to the news of Hitler's demise. Some officials rightly anticipated that it was time to vanish and to avoid arrest and responsibility for their unspeakable crimes of the Third Reich. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Dark History Podcast. Hope everybody is well. I'm Rob, your host, as always. For episode 17, as you may have guessed, we are going to look into the timeline of events immediately after Adolf Hitler's death. When Hitler died, it brought the subsequent end of World War II in Europe. Germany was divided into four zones by the victorious allies, who occupied the country. This led to the start of the Cold War between the Western Bloc, supported by the US, and the Eastern Bloc, supported by the Soviet Union. But, I don't want to look at the years and decades after. I want to look at the seconds, minutes, hours. I want to look at the major players in this terrible web of death and hatred, and tell their despicable stories. Before we start, if this isn't painfully obvious by now, this podcast is going to talk about Hitler, and everything that comes with talking about Hitler. I'm not trying to glorify or condone any actions or atrocities committed by the Nazis. If any of my dear listeners get offended by this, then maybe sit this one out. For those of you who are staying with us, without further ado, please sit back, relax for more dark history. Since at least 1943, it was becoming increasingly clear that Germany would fold under the pressure of the Allied forces. In February of that year, the German Sixth Army, more deep into the Soviet Union, was annihilated at the Battle of Stalingrad, and German hopes of sustained offensives on both fronts evaporated. Then, in June 1944, the Western Allied armies landed in Normandy and began systematically pushing the Germans back towards Berlin. By July 1944, several German military commanders acknowledged their imminent defeat and plotted to remove Hitler from power, so as to negotiate for more favourable peace. Their attempts to assassinate Hitler failed, however and in his reprisals, Hitler executed over 4,000 fellow countrymen. In January 1945, facing a siege of Berlin by the Soviets, Hitler withdrew to his bunker to live out his final days. Located 55 feet under the chancellery, the shelter contained 18 rooms and was fully self-sufficient with his own water and electrical supply. Though he was growing increasingly mad, Hitler continued to give orders and meet such close subordinates as Hermann Göring, Heinrich Himmler and Joseph Goebbels. He also married his longtime mistress, Eva Braun, just one day before his suicide. The final days of the Third Reich 
set off various attempts by individuals to even improve their own political stature or desperately attempt to bargain with the Allies and avoid punishment after the war. When Hitler heard of the perceived treachery of Hermann Göring and Heinrich Himmler, who both fled Berlin after Adolf's birthday party, he immediately rewrote his last political will and testament to reflect his contempt and anger over these developments. Surprisingly, completely a political admiral and U-boat commander, Karl Donitz was named the new president of the Reich and Joseph Goebbels would become the new chancellor. Martin Broman was named executor of Hitler's estate. He expelled Goering and Himmler from the party and rescinded his order to designate Goering as his successor. When Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun killed themselves on the afternoon of April 30th, 1945, a simple logistical detail became a source of panic among the group of officers who were in charge of destroying his body. Hitler told aide Martin Broman that he and Eva were to be cremated as quickly as possible, so the bodies could never be displayed by the victorious allies. The immediate problem facing Hitler's inner circle was to find gasoline to accomplish this task. You see, by this point in time, the Russians were so close to the bunker that attempts to fetch the fuel from elsewhere in Berlin was impossible. The only other option was to siphon fuel from damaged vehicles in the bunker's underground garage, which was covered in collapsed concrete and masonry. Approximately 200 litres were quickly extracted and placed near the entrance to the bunker. Hitler's chauffeur, Heinrich Kempke, and his adjutants, Otto Gunsch and Hans Linge, placed Hitler and Braun's bodies in the courtyard, while Russian shells landed in the area, throwing up columns of dust and soil. The three poured gasoline over both bodies and ignited the pyre with a gasoline dice rag under the watchful eye of Broman and Goebbels. When the fuel was consumed, the bodies were still not completely destroyed, so the group repeated this process for the rest of the afternoon, finding and dumping hundreds more gallons of gasoline on the Führer and Eva. The charred remains of Hitler's two dogs were then buried in a shallow trench beside the bunker, and the Führer's ashes were removed, continually changing their location to prevent Hitler's devotees from creating a memorial at his final resting place. At least for a few days, Karl Donitz was head of the German government, as only eight days later, on May the 8th, 1945, the German forces issued an unconditional surrender, leaving Germany to be carved up by the four Allied powers. This part is incredibly difficult to listen to, if you like myself, you're a parent. Please listeners, be warned, this next section describes harm and the subsequent death of children. So what happened to Goebbels after Hitler's death? Well, propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels and his wife, Magda, had already determined they would not only kill themselves, but also murder their six young children. Magda, especially seemed determined not to want her children to survive, believing they would suffer a life of scorn and ridicule. She coerced an SS medical officer with a background in dentistry, Helmut Kunz, assigned to the Reich's chancellery, to assist her with the scheme. 
Kunz initially refused and even fled the bunker to avoid the horrible task. Magda threatened to tell her husband of his desertion, which would have ultimately led to Kunz's death also. Kunz reluctantly returned, and on the night of the 1st of May 1945, as the children prepared for bed as usual, Magda ordered Kunz to give them an injection of morphine to knock them out. While they were unconscious, someone forced each child to ingest a cyanide capsule, which killed them. It's believed the cyanide was administered by Magda and another doctor, Ludwig Stumfeggers, based upon the accounts provided by Kunz, who has obvious reason to lie about whether he killed children. A few minutes later, at about 8.15pm, Joseph and Magda went to the garden of the chancellery, accompanied by Goebbels' SS adjutant, Gunther Schwegermann. Magda took poison and was shot in the head by her husband. Goebbels shot himself in the head, and Schwegermann ordered another soldier to shoot Goebbels again to ensure he was dead. Magda and Joseph Goebbels were then partially burnt. The absence of petrol left recognisable cadavers. The Russians found the six Goebbels children. Stumfeger died while trying to escape past the Russians in Berlin. Kun survived and was ultimately tried and acquitted of colluding in the slaying of the Goebbels children. The courts essentially ruled he was coerced by Magda and Joseph Goebbels. Heinrich Himmler, on the other hand, secretly began negotiations in late 1944 in an attempt to escape responsibility for his horrible acts. Although Hitler wished to fight to the end, Himmler acknowledged to his contact within the Swedish government, Count Folk Bernadotte, that the war was lost and he wished to minimise further death and destruction, secretly hoping Bernadotte could be his conduit for a successful negotiation with the West. Thousands of concentration camp prisoners were saved, but for Himmler it did no good. Surrender feelers conveyed by the Swedish government were secretly forwarded to the Allies, who gave the single, unyielding response, unconditional surrender. Even worse for Himmler, in the last weeks of Hitler's life, Western Radio was reporting the news of his secret negotiations. Hitler, predictably, grew enraged. He removed Himmler from all government posts, expelled him from the party, and ordered his arrest. He also ordered Himmler's liaison officer, Hermann Fegelein, to be shot for desertion despite Fegelein's marriage to Eva Braun's sister. By then, Himmler had implemented his final desperate plan, attempting to blend into the masses of unidentified German soldiers fleeing to the west. He shaved off his moustache, put on an eye patch, and removed his glasses heading for the British zone in northern Germany. Fortunately, he was detained at a roadblock. Himmler was interrogated and admitted his identity. When he was searched, a doctor detected a capsule of some kind in Himmler's mouth. The former Reichsfuhrer bit down on it, releasing the cyanide. He died within minutes and was buried in a secret location near Lundberg. Now, I've alluded to this in previous episodes, and I think if it wasn't for the Russians, World War II would probably have been lost. So when the Russians began to invade Germany, 
Many German Nazis followed Hitler's and Goebbels' lead, taking their lives. The mayor of Leipzig and his wife and many other city officials held a party in the town hall, then killed themselves by taking poison. In Dibin, a thousand civilians took their lives in less than 72 hours, leading up to the capture of the town by the Russian invaders, specifically to avoid falling into Soviet hands. Ernest Robert Garwitz, a Nazi doctor involved in concentration camp experimentation, sat down with his wife at the dinner table and detonated two grenades, killing his entire family. Across Germany, many thousands of people, either ardent Nazis who couldn't bear the idea of defeat, or individuals culpable of horrific crimes chose suicide rather than capture or escape. When the Russians eventually made it to Berlin, the Germans were still prepared to fight, whether it be blind loyalty or coercion. Within Berlin, many units continued to fight even after Hitler's suicide. These troops were mostly teenage boys and older men, impressed into the militia and charged with stopping the Russians' capture of the capital. Desertions from these units was punishable by death. The streets of Germany in 1945 featured many individuals strung up by roving bands of SS hangmen. Even after the Russians encircled the city, German forces of the 12th Army under Wolfer Wenck were ordered to stop fighting the Americans on the Western Front and return to Berlin by fighting through enemy lines. This was done to allow as many citizens and soldiers as possible to make their way to the Western Lines controlled by the US and the British. Nobody wanted to be in the territory controlled by the Russians. Although Venk failed to infiltrate Russian lines, his actions are believed to have allowed for the westwards escape of tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of German civilians. When the news reached Moscow of Hitler's demise, the ever-suspicious Stalin sent in a team of investigators to find Hitler's body. He was remarked in saying, So the bastard is dead. Too bad we didn't capture him alive. Typically, he wanted absolute proof of his rival's demise. So Stalin ordered an element of the elite Soviet investigation unit known as Smirsch to bring tangible verification of Hitler's passing. On the 2nd of May, Smirsch operatives sealed off the Chancellery Garden and bunker area and began a systematic search of the grounds. After three days, a Russian officer dug up what appeared to be the bodies of two dogs, then the remains of Hitler and Eva Braun. Too badly burnt to be visibly identified, the bodies were moved to a secret location, where Hitler's jaw was removed. His distinctive major dental work a possible means of identification. Jar in hand, the Smurse unit tracked down Hitler's dentist office only to find the dentist himself had fled successfully to the west. They detained the dentist's assistant, Kathy Hausermann, who described Hitler's teeth, distinctively bad from the Führer's love of cake and sweets, and produced the Führer's dental x-rays. Her punishment for providing dental work to Nazi regime was 10 years in a Soviet labour camp. Although Stalin knew the truth and accepted Hitler's end, he never announced it publicly, 
preferring instead to promote various rumours about Hitler escaping to Argentina, Spain or elsewhere in the world. Some believe he used this strategy to support his own political agenda to maintain tensions among the world's powers. So there you go, the events that happened immediately after Hitler's death. The world is a better place without people like Hitler, but unfortunately there has been many more like him. Maybe not as bad, but still in the same mould. Take Stalin for example. I mean, the Russians more or less fought the Germans single-handedly on the Eastern Front. They weren't part of the pact with the Allies like they were in World War I. They were simply on their own. And if it wasn't for the Russian people's sacrifice, World War II would have been lost. The Allies wouldn't have landed on D-Day, and the Germans most probably would have won. You see, the Russians fought the vast majority of the German army, keeping a lot of it away from France. For this reason, I personally think the tyranny of Joseph Stalin was mostly covered up. Joseph Stalin would kill people with impunity, just like Hitler. But because he was on the winning side of World War II, he's maybe not looked upon with the same disdain as Adolf Hitler. Now, this isn't me trying to downplay the depravity of Adolf Hitler. He was an utterly evil, hateful human being. But if the Germans had won the war, maybe his tyranny would be covered up too. Like I've said all the way through, this isn't to glorify or condone Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party. This is merely for educational purposes, if you will. Something that isn't widely spoken about. And I hope you've enjoyed it, my dear listeners. As much as you can, talking about Nazis and Adolf Hitler. Just before I close up this episode, I've had an idea for a future episode, and that is alternative history. Obviously, these would be complete fiction. I would try to keep them from being too far-fetched. A couple of examples would be, what if Germany won World War I? What if the scramble for Africa never happened? Etc. Let me know what you think. Anyway, if you like this episode, please drop me a five-star review. If you think friends and family may like it, share it with them. Links to TikTok, YouTube, Insta and the show email are below. That's where you can get in contact with me. If you've been listening for a while, why not subscribe? Please do it. That way you never miss an episode. So with all that out of the way, please join me for episode 18 and more Dark History.